Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. This is Renee, and you're listening to the Embodied Astrology for the New Moon in Taurus. Today is the day after the New Moon. It is May 5th on a Sunday. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Um, I wanted to get this out for you yesterday, and I needed to go outside and enjoy the beautiful day and the sunlight and the air. So I'm a day late, and I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. Um, there are two parts to today's offering. In part one, I'm going to talk about the new moon. And in part two, you can join me for a new moon ritual. It's a guided meditation and a writing practice. It's about 40 minutes long. Um, and in that meditation and ritual, we'll be exploring the origins of wealth. And the origins of wealth, of course, go all the way back to our planet and solar system and atmosphere and these resources that we have access to because we live here in an abundant and magical realm that we call the planet Earth are refined by our bodies and our labor. And this process of refinement has gone on for a really long time. And for me right now, in my life, I'm thinking a lot about how can I contribute to the changes that I want to see in the world. And one of the biggest places that I can see um, dysfunction happening and pain and violence is around money and value. And I think we really need to shift our thinking on earth and stop valuing dollar bills and start valuing people. And come into, I don't know, some kind of radical rethinking of how value is measured. <clears throat> if we can't do this, I don't really see much hope for us. Even with all the new technologies, even with all the possible innovations that we can get to, it seems like humanity is really sick and our basic illness is competition and hatred and the hatred that we feel extends uh, deeply, I think, into ourselves and the place where we come from and a misalignment of our own values. So this ritual and meditation is an exploration. Um, it's a little bit of a positioning practice, but it is really an offering and an invitation to get in touch with some core ideas around wealth and value and where we come from and how we can Kind of maneuver ourselves in this moment of evolution and uh, maybe make some different choices that begin with an internal shift and a perspective shift. So I hope you'll stick around to join me for that. The meditation was one part in a class I taught yesterday called Elemental Economics. The class is an exploration of these ideas. How do we shift into a different kind of economic awareness and practice? And that class is available starting tomorrow. It will be online um, and you can purchase it now. You can sign up for it now. It's available at sliding scale. I'm trying to make it as accessible as possible. And this meditation is a really big part of it. And so the meditation I wanted to offer for everyone. All right, so we'll get going now. And I'm going to get into the astrology for the new moon. So quite an amazing new moon that we had yesterday, a new moon pretty much in the middle of the sign of Taurus. And if you listened to the Taurus season ahead uh, podcast that came out two weeks ago, and if you've been listening or if you've listened to your month ahead 
uh, horoscopes, so the audio horoscopes for all 12 signs are for the month ahead, then you've heard me talk about a lot of the themes that Taurus has to do with. And so this is the middle of the earth, kind of the core of the earth element. And earth is everything that's in the material realm, our bodies, anything that's manifest on the planet, and how we sustain the material, how we grow, how we accumulate. Ideas about wealth and sustenance are really big for Taurus. Um, in the last podcast, I mentioned the correspondence of Taurus to the jaw, the lower part of the jaw, the mandible, and the tongue. And Taurus is involved with the decision to swallow and also to give voice to something. So in medical astrology, Taurus rules the gate of the throat and neck. And this place is definitely a gate. It's where we swallow, we make decisions to consume, and also where we give voice and we make decisions to manifest. And anything that we're manifesting first starts with an idea and then we give a voice to it and then we do something. And the doing something, the creating is also very Taurus. It's uh, the sign that wants to build things and it knows how to work with building. <clears throat> I want to just say for all of you that maybe don't remember in this moment, Taurus is in your chart. It doesn't matter if you're sun sign Taurus or if you have any planets in Taurus. Everyone has all 12 signs in their astrology chart and all 12 signs are important. Even if you don't have planets there, the signs dictate what happens in certain areas of your life. So if you know where Taurus is in your natal chart, and in order to know where it is, you have to know your birth time. Um, if you don't know your birth time, there are other ways of figuring that out, but the easiest is if you know your birth time. Then you can see where what house Taurus rules. And the houses are a way that Western astrologers divide the sky into areas of life. So for example, as a Leo rising person, I have Taurus in my 10th house. And the 10th house in a Western chart has to do with what we are putting ourselves out into the greater world for, how we want to grow up and become mature and responsible. I call it the house of adulting a lot of the time. In classical astrology, you'll hear about it as the house of career and public image. It has a lot to do with where you come from, your family, their expectations, um, parental expectations for sure, but also your culture, your tribe, the values and the resources that you come from that allow you to, to grow and to move into what you're growing and moving into, and also that propel you. And that propulsion may be attraction or aversion, right? Like where we come from has a lot to do with what we're going to try and achieve in our lives. So for me, having Taurus here means that the energy of Uranus, Uranus has recently entered Taurus. You've definitely heard me talk about it if you're listening to the podcast. This is a seven-year transit of an outer planet, so cultural change, but also it's going to affect any personal chart that is bringing the ideas of total change, anything that feels like it is outdated, if it's confining, if there's something that is getting in the way of the evolutionary course, it just it's going to get shaken up. It has to go. We can work with these transits when we know they're coming. And this is the tool of astrology, basically. This is the reason why I love it is 
we can look ahead, we can look into the past, we can look out into the present moment and see there are certain influences that are inviting certain kinds of perspectives that are going to bring in certain kinds of energy. And if we can work with them, we give them an outlet. If we resist them or if we're blind or ignorant to them um, and somehow that manifests in feeling resistant in our lives, these planets will act anyway and they'll usually come through external events or they'll come through our health or they'll come through um, you know, different situations that we might not necessarily choose. So Uranus is coming into my 10th house. This is the place of public image, career, um, vocation, the thing that I'm putting myself out to do. And what Uranus wants me to do is change. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you've been noticing it's been changing quite a bit. I'm trying to figure out how I can grow. And growth and change is really uncomfortable for most people, especially for me. I have moon in Taurus as well. So in a couple of years, Uranus will be conjunct to my moon. Wherever the moon is in someone's chart, it's an emotional need. Taurus, as a sign, it likes stability, reliability. It likes to linger. Once something feels okay, it's just going to stick around for a while. If something's feeling good, it definitely doesn't want to move. I've been doing this podcast for four years. I've built up a lot around it. I'm very rhythmic as a person and having a rhythm of every two weeks, new moon, full moon. Okay, this, that. It's comfortable and it's been great and it's worked. And in the last year, I've gotten to a place where the workload of the um, bi-weekly rhythm in doing all of the things like 12 audio horoscopes, a podcast, a guided meditation, writing a post, um, the way that it was stacking in the rhythm of my life was starting to be very confining. And I felt like I wanted to grow and I want to try new things and I have to change something. So I tried to change it in a structured way. I was like, oh, I'll have this idea. I'll, I'll go in that way. And then as, as change happens, you know, nothing is predictable. So the first changes I made, some of them worked, some of them didn't. And I've been in this place for the last uh, month or a couple weeks or so where it feels like a little bit of a free fall. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm moving into something new. And I think that the structure is going to find its way forward, but I don't quite know what it looks like yet. I have some ideas. And in case you're wondering, the idea right now is the monthly um, audio horoscopes. I know everybody loved them. I, I was sad to let them go, so I'm happy to be back with them and a month ahead forecast and then different kinds of offerings at the new moon and the full moon. That might sound like more uh, work of a rhythm, but it's actually because things are ungrouped and I'm letting myself explore a little bit and do different things kind of unpairing them from the bi-weekly rhythm, I actually feel like I have more freedom. And we'll see how this goes. So this is a seven-year transit. Who knows what we're going to be doing in seven years and what this podcast will be doing or if it will be. Anyway, the point is, wherever Taurus is in your chart, at the very least, there's some kind of restlessness right now. There's a feeling of, I have got to change. I need to do something different. This old thing isn't working for me. I need more space to grow. I need some more freedom. I want to innovate. I want to try something new. And if um, th these subtle experiences are not honored, if we don't give ourselves space to grow, 
something will manifest. And I see this all the time in my clients' charts, like something will manifest. And who knows what it is? Maybe it's um, a, a new job opportunity somewhere else. Maybe it's some kind of chaotic experience that pulls the rug out from under you. Maybe it's um, ha having something go on with a relationship where all of a sudden, you know, on an emotional level, everything needs to change. I don't know what it would have been for me, but I know that I'm working actively with needing to change in my career life and needing to innovate it a little bit and definitely needing to honor the Uranian impulse in my natal chart. So I have natal Uranus in the fifth house. This is the place of creativity in the sign of Sagittarius and Sagittarius loves to teach and it also loves to ask big questions and go on adventures and get more information. So I know that in the way that I'm teaching and in the way that I'm uh, designing my life as an artist, that I have my work as an astrologer, this allows me to sustain my artistic practice. I know that some things um, need to grow around this fifth house energy, the creative energy. I want to explore more. So wherever Uranus is in your natal chart, whatever house, whatever sign, look to that place for some clues around what is this transit uh, for you when Uranus comes into Taurus, because in Taurus, very practical elements need to change. It's going to be the structures of things. It's going to be your body. It's going to be the way that you're working with wealth. It's going to be things that have built up slowly over time. And that's what Taurus does is it builds and it builds and it's plotting and it's rhythmic and it's there every day and it's doing the same thing. And once it gets into a groove, it's in the fucking groove. Like that's what you're doing. And everyone has some place in their chart where that's the thing. And maybe it's, you know, all kinds of stuff. So relationships, the way that you clean your house, how you deal with uh, your pets. I mean, I don't know. So when you look at your chart, look to see where the sign Taurus is and look to see where the sign Uranus is. And that information, by the way, is all um, in the class that I mentioned. So if you're interested in, in more um, around the symbology of, of these two figures, Uranus as a planet, Taurus as a sign, and then where specifically Taurus is for you in your chart and what Uranus is bringing into that area of your chart, check out the class. So today is the day after the new moon. The new moon is always a time of beginnings. The new moon is a three-day event, actually. Today we're technically still in the new moon. Yesterday it was exact. It perfected at 3.47 p.m. here on the Pacific West Coast. And the day before, May 3rd, um, would have been the end of the balsamic phase. So the three-day event is the, the full and final releasing of something, the emptiness, and then the beginning of a, a new movement, a new impulse towards growth. <clears throat> Yesterday was emptiness. Today, there's a little bit of an impulse towards growth. As I said, the new moon was right in the middle of the sign Taurus. This is right in the middle of the place that feels the most rhythmic, the most steady. So whatever it is that we're changing, it's something that is very established. It's something that probably feels pretty comfortable at this point. As the moon begins to separate from the sun, which it's doing now, it is coming into formation with Saturn and Pluto. And so as I'm recording this, 
um, a little before 11 in the morning on Sunday, May 5th, the moon is in exact trine to Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn. Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn, as you've heard me talk about if you've been listening, is an event that's taking place all year. So all of 2019 and uh, for a good part of the, the first part of 2020, this is an aspect that is a really strong one. It will perfect in January of next year. January of 2020 is when it's exact, but all of 2019, Saturn and Pluto are very close to each other. This aspect is the feeling of retraction in a certain way. There is an extreme practicality to it. Practicality might be not quite the right word, but if you if you preface it with extreme, maybe it is. The, the sense here, which is not that different from the sense of I need to change a lot of the structures in my life, Saturn and Pluto and Capricorn give the sense of if I don't change, I might die. And in order to change, certain things have got to go. It's the killing force. And what Pluto does is it pushes to the surface very deep underlying disturbances or misalignments or toxicities. And we have to look at them and we have to do very deep work and extraction in our um, personal beings, in our relationships, in our structures to pull out what is not up to task for the evolutionary purpose. And this is deep shadow work. It's really looking at where we're getting in our own way and what kind of unacknowledged impulses or stories or impressions need to now become acknowledged because in a more shadowy place where they're unacknowledged, they are creating um, dysfunction. They're creating toxicity. Saturn builds things, but Saturn has a lot of discernment around it. It wants longevity. It wants sustainability. It also wants authority. And so as Saturn and Pluto are doing this dance together, we are in our personal lives. Again, wherever Capricorn is in your chart is a place where you got to get control over something. I mean, that's a big one. It's like you have got to, to figure out how to wrangle something and get control over it and figure out how to work with whatever energy is there and how to get through whatever is creating distress. And distress is going to feel like this very deep thing that's bubbling up. So there may be recognition of old patterns. There may be recognition of trauma. There may be a pushing forward of... Um, history, you know, where you realize like, oh, the, the thing that I'm dealing with here is something that's built on a lot of repetition and maybe influences that have nothing to do with me. But for in whatever way makes sense for me, I have to be part of killing the thing that doesn't work. And then I have to be part of creating something that does work. So Saturn is looking around at what Pluto is killing and it's going, what do I have left to build with? What can we, what can we put together that might actually get us to the place that we want to go? Capricorn as a sign relates to traditions, rules, governance, and authority. In a collective chart, this is the sign of government. And since Pluto entered Capricorn in 2008, we've been seeing the toxicity of governments in a very obvious way being pushed forward. 
And there's a real feeling right now and the reality of many governments that are dying, including the U.S. government. And um, Capricorn is the place that uh, the United States, in terms of the Constitution being written and signed, um, the Declaration of Independence, uh, Pluto was in Capricorn at that time. So the U.S. is having what's called its Pluto return, similar to a Saturn return, but like a million times more intense. So those of you that are going through your Saturn returns and you're like, ah, how am I forming? How am I going to be in my life? What do I need to do? As a nation, as a country, there's that feeling of like, okay, what are we going to be when we grow up? But there's also this sense of, okay, we've had one lifetime of something that had a particular idea. That life is dying. The idea of, you know, freedom and liberty for all, but then in the fine print, it's only able-bodied white men who are Christian who have some kind of economic standing. That idea is dead. And it is really putting up a fight. There are um, definitely people who are are fighting to keep that one alive, but it's not going to maintain. It can't. Um, There's too much growth. There's too much evolution in just a manner of years. Um, The U.S. population will be more non-white people than people. And it needs, you know, the country was dysfunctional from the beginning, from the first idea and that written declaration. And so especially as power shifts in this country, the idea of it has to change. And certain core ideas may carry forward. Um, Again, if they're up for the evolutionary task, but otherwise they'll have to go. And this is a worldwide event. And so as a American person who lives in the U.S. and practices in the U.S. um, and reads the news in the U.S., which is pretty biased, um, But still, like, this is what's shaping my mind all the time. I get glimpses of what's going on outside. And I could say even for my town, I live in kind of a a bubble of a place called Portland, Oregon. Maybe you've seen Portlandia. It kind of feels like that a lot of the time. Um, Outside of this place, every, you know, this influence is still happening. And it's happening really extremely across the world. So the structures that we have built, structures of governance, structures of capitalism, of trade, um, structures of authority, Capricorn structures, these are dying. What's going to happen? We don't know. Uranus and Taurus moving in harmony with Saturn and Pluto, so this trine that I'm talking about, is part of the shakeup. So Uranus is bringing change now okay, turn that thing over, let's have a revolution, smash it all to bits. Saturn and Pluto are a little bit of a slower process. How can we do this in um, a, a deep, deep way where Uranus is just going, explode the motherfucker. Pluto's like, let's go all the way into the core and pull the thing up by its roots. Really, let's get radical. So these are happening together. And today the moon is trying to Saturn and Pluto. And the significance of this, the sun and the moon astrologically represent our right and our left eyes, our objective and our subjective selves. The sun being kind of more objective consciousness, what is being illuminated right now. And the moon is the more subjective, the emotional consciousness. 
Yesterday they came together, but just a number of days, about uh, 10 days before the sun was conjunct to Uranus and just the day before the moon had been conjunct to Uranus. So we're getting glimpses of the changes. We're starting to understand what they are going to be for us. Again, this is wherever Taurus is in your chart. And now as the moon is separating, it's coming into trine with Saturn and Pluto, Capricorn. And that trine energy is is a flow and it's it's a supportive lending influence. So our emotional selves are in a, a moment of going, this is the change, this is what it's going to look like, this is what it's going to feel like, or this is the step I need to take today. Let's go. So I just want to honor and acknowledge all of you listening. I know you're going through a lot of changes. I know that change is really hard. I know that change is really scary. And right now, there are a lot of changes that are happening in the world that are necessary changes that have to do with structures, with governments, and also with wealth and access to resources, this theme around Taurus. Taurus rules housing. Taurus rules food. There are huge housing shortages in the United States. In the town that I live in, in Portland, in this bubble of uh, Portlandia, there's a huge homelessness problem. There's a lot of people who are being evicted from their housing because they can't afford it, because there's a lot of migration into Portland because of people being kicked out of other places or not being able to sustain their lives there. And as Portland is gentrified... um, people are are being pushed to the margins, right? And the people who are being pushed to the margins are the people who have um, less economic capacity. And a a lot of those people are people of color and people who have disabilities and people who are single parents and people who need a certain kind of access to resources in a, a more public way. And as they're being pushed to the margins, they're losing that access. They're losing their ease to commute to work. Um, They're losing their housing, as I said. There's a lot of suffering that's happening. And it is really destabilizing the idea of this place being kind of, you know, equal opportunity for all. I was reading on the news the other day about how... um, in San Francisco, where this problem is really extreme, where Silicon Valley has basically colonized San Francisco, it's taken over um, a lot of the housing. The housing is totally unaffordable for, for people unless they have a really high paying job. And so there's a lot of homelessness and there's some area, and I'm not familiar with San Francisco, so I don't know where this is, but there's some area that sounds like it was more of an industrial area and it's being built up now with, of course, a lot of condos. And this is also an area where there was a proposal for a, um, a shelter. And the people who were in a shelter for people experiencing houselessness and the people who were living in that area in the new condos got together and raised $100,000 to fight this shelter being built because they were ostensibly, they were you know, scared about the welfare of their kids or something. I don't know. When I read that, when I hear that, I think it's bullshit. These people don't want to look at people that don't have homes. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to feel the discomfort um, of inequity and their own place in it and their own privilege in it because it's fucking uncomfortable to, to walk by someone that um, is struggling and is suffering and to shut yourself down and, you know, 
go get your latte or whatever, go to work, um, take your kids to their private school. That it feels really uncomfortable. And anyone who has some level of economic class, like you know this discomfort, I know this discomfort. It is awful and excruciating to walk by um, people living on the street. I don't know what to do about it. Sometimes I have money that I can share. It's not going to do anything. You know, giving someone a couple of bucks doesn't do anything. How do we make it better? None of us alone can do it, right? It has to be a systems-wide shift. But the systems-wide shift also is going to be created by each of us working together as individuals. It has to be a shift in sentiment and priorities and values. And that, for me, is the biggest theme of this new moon, is the shifting of values. Values manifest as material wealth, but they begin as core beliefs. How do we shift our core beliefs? We have to come into access with them, first of all. We have to give ourselves space and time to feel them and to recognize where things are uncomfortable. Um, And that space and time also has to have some kind of container around it. So we can't just sit back forever and go like, okay, well, how's this feeling? You know, we, we have to kind of dig in there in a concentrated way with an intention of going, I want to shift something. How am I going to shift it? And if you're not someone who's working in policy, as I'm not, then you find whatever avenue that you can. You talk about it to everyone that you possibly can. If you have a podcast and you get on it and go, hey, is anybody out there working on policy? Um, how can I help? How can I motivate people? I want to lend my voice to a change that I feel like needs to happen. And any kind of resource that I have that I, I can, if I can give it, I'm going to start looking for different ways to spend my money. I don't want to give my money to big corporations anymore. I want to try and support small businesses. If I have extra money, I want to try and support causes you know, that are important to me and that can help alleviate some suffering for other people. Um, so just giving that as a call out, that's, that's my bandwagon for sure. Um, when you look at your natal chart, look to see where Taurus and Capricorn are. They are in conversation, these two areas of your life, they are in conversation with each other right now. Capricorn is the place where you're pulling things up by the root big, transformative, deep processes of change. Taurus is the place where things now need to get shaken up and disturbed a little bit. And you can go out on a limb. You can try to do things differently in different ways and liberate yourself a little bit. One of the ways that we can change these systems is to stop believing in them and start doing something different and and a big way that these systems function is by taking us out of our bodies. There is not a lot of place for slowness, for pleasure, for enjoying our lives. We are in a go, 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 fast-paced world. People are dismissing the, the suffering of other beings because they're late to work and they're rushing to make sure that whatever it is that they're trying to produce and capitalize on is going to succeed. That's a problem. We're going so fast that we can't pause and actually feel our bodies feel the sunlight, feel the air. And if there, I think if there was more momentum on a social level around slowing down and 
seeing what's around in terms of just our shared resources of community, um, we could probably come up with some cool solutions because we're all caught up in it together of this frantic race to try and figure out how to survive. Then we're lending ourselves to the momentum of white supremacist patriarchal capitalism that does not give a shit about your body. It doesn't give a shit about your pleasure. It doesn't give a shit about your actual dreams and who you want to be as a human being. It just wants your labor. It just wants money. So maybe there are ways that we can stop feeding the beast. Um, With that, please stick around for this meditation because that is the intention of the meditation is to really go far, 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 far back to feel the origins of the ideas of wealth, how they got built kind of through our evolution. Um, it's poetic, it's imagination. And at the end, there's some some writing. And the writing prompts, I hope, can lead into a little bit of a, a shift in your own energy or perspective. Like I said before, I have no idea how these changes get made. I um, can look at astrology, I can see the opportunity, and I'm also an optimist, and I love opportunities, so I don't know how many of us are going to jump on this opportunity. But I do want to say that there is such a profound opportunity right now, and especially these days around the new moon, the energy for change is ripe. A lot of us want it. We're ready for it. We just need something to to grab onto. And the thing to grab onto is right now, I think the energetic shift. The structures aren't available yet. They're still dying. There's still more chaos to come. We have to tear them down a little bit more. But how we can start to tear them down and build them up in new ways can begin now. It already has begun. So many people are are doing this work around embodiment and awakening. For me, those are the places to turn to. Get into your body, feel your feelings, (laughs) deal with them. Notice how your choices are affecting your own life. Remember, you can make other choices. You are a person who is capable of making choices, even if something... uh, is a standard or status quo, even if you've been doing it for a long time, even if it feels scary, you can make changes. So I hope you enjoy the meditation. And I want to give a little bit of a shout out to those who have been sponsoring Embodied Astrology. Thank you for funding this work and thank you for sustaining it. As we're talking about wealth and values and resources, if this is a resource for you and if you find benefit in this work, please consider supporting it. I'm really happy to say that it's been growing and over the past couple of years, it's grown to a place where I'm now able to give work to other people at times. I haven't really been able yet to hire someone in the capacity that I'd like to, but whenever I can, um, I hire other people to help me And I typically try to hire queer people. I hire people who, for whatever reason, you know, they're not able to really make it in like a quote unquote normal job um, because I really value their insights. And um, these are artists, AKA artists, um, and their perspectives. And I pay a good rate. So that's you, actually. You are doing that. You are helping support queer community. You're helping support artists. You're paying artists for their labor. And if you find benefit in this work, you're also helping people access it. Um, Because all of this is 
is free. I'm just putting it out and uh, there it is. So if you enjoy it, please help support it. You can support it financially, of course. You can also help share it. You can let people know about it, um, give it good ratings, etc. And you can subscribe. You can become a monthly recurring donor at any amount per month. And in trade for that support, I'll send you monthly Zodiac season planners. You'll get info for the upcoming month on planets and lunar cycles and how to work with them. And you'll get discounts on any online classes and other workshops that I do, etc. So I'm in a big question right now of how to make my own work accessible. And um, I really appreciate all of you who've been supporting that. So with that, um, this meditation was recorded yesterday. It was part of the elemental economics class. You can find info on the class at embodiedastrology.com under play and learn in the online class section. And if you stick around at the end, I will give you more information about the class and how to sign up for it. Happy new moon, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. All right, well, welcome back for part two. You are about to go on a little bit of a journey with me. This is a guided visualization and ritual meditation. In it, we are going to be doing some kind of somatic awareness in the beginning, and I would recommend that you lie down for this. Um, it is a little weird, a little bit exploratory in your spinal patterns. And I'm thinking about how value got developed. And of course, value got developed from hunger and from necessity. So um, it would be great if you could do this meditation somewhere where you don't have to worry about anyone watching you or if other people around are doing the same thing. You'll also want a pen and paper. At the end, we'll be doing some writing. So make sure that that's close by. And always, please, Make your own comfort your priority. So be in a, a place that's comfortable for you. If anything comes up in the meditation that you need to pause, take longer time with, or get some resource and help with, um, pause it. Get the things that you need. All right. Ready? Here we go. Let's begin... It's comfortable by closing the eyes and then just resting. So we just moved through with our bodies, we moved some energy, maybe got a little warm and feel the activity of the body that now continues more subtly. So there's always movement in the body. And you can start to attune to the movement inside, the movement of your breath, the movement of your heartbeat, your cellular movement. And as you feel the movement inside your body, you might imagine all those science shows you've seen or any kind of information you've ever come across about all the empty space in cells, the dark matter. And you might imagine how your body is made up of trillions and trillions of cells. And all of those cells are moving. They're all constantly 
moving in life and death cycles. So cells are being created and born and cells are dying all the time. And when a cell is living, it is metabolizing energy. So it's taking in nutrients and oxygen and all the things that it needs to live. It's consuming. Um, whatever it consumes is processed in its nucleus. It's turned into energy. Energy is heat. And your body right now is a collection of trillions and trillions of little cells. You might imagine them like little beings. Let this imagination lead you into imagining space. So just like all of your cells have their nucleus and what they do is uh, burn kind of, consume and cast out heat as they transform um, nutrients into energy. Imagine how in space there's all kinds of things like this. So there are stars and stars are collections of gases colliding together and fission and heat particles and these explosions. And then there are planets and asteroids, all kinds of things. But around all of them, all of those planetary phenomena, there's also just empty space. And in whatever way you can imagine it right now, let yourself imagine the big expansive emptiness of space. And then imagine these collections of energy, planets and stars, comets and asteroids, all the space dust floating around in the empty. Invite that image from the Voyager to come in, that moment when Carl Sagan asked them to turn around and take a picture of the Earth and see the Earth, that tiny glowing ball, its blue oceans, its swirling clouds, and imagine getting closer and closer to it, still far away enough that you can't make out anything like houses, but you can see the big chunks of land, the oceans, the ways that land rises up underwater and shallower water is lighter and deeper water is darker. And the way that the land that's above water is touched by air and heat and some land is covered in foliage and growth, and some land is more barren, rock and sand. And imagine that you're looking at the earth billions of years ago, before any of us existed, before humankind. And we'll continue to imagine all of our science lesson memories 
And so you might imagine how this planet, this earth, has such perfect conditions for life. There's light, there's water, there's oxygen, and there's the potential for all kinds of growth. And all that's needed for growth is some kind of catalyst, some kind of spark. And there's lots of theories that say that the first spark for life came from outer space, maybe an asteroid or a comet hitting the Earth, bringing space dust and bacteria from somewhere else. And the collision of that material with the Earth's resources started to birth life. And we know that the first life started to grow in the oceans and in the water. And the first life was single-celled organisms, just like you have cells in your body that are single cells. And so you might imagine, and this is a remembering actually, your body on some level came from this place, so you remember it in some way. You might imagine the intelligence of a single-celled organism. And single-celled organisms feed themselves from periphery to center. And so as you breathe, as you inhale and you exhale, you might feel that the movement of your breath travels out into your periphery, into the layer of your skin it's in, in its entirety. And as you exhale, the periphery gathers into your center. And so you inhale and feel how porous and absorbent your skin is. We receive so much through our skin and the single-celled organisms are like this as well. Their membranes are porous. And what is needed comes in, what is not needed floats by. And as you exhale, you gather it in towards your center. And at the center, combustion happens. There's a transformation, taking nourishment and turning it into energy. And so you might start to feel this play between periphery and center, that as you inhale and exhale, you're drawing in from your periphery to feed your center. And you're also expanding from your center out into your periphery, expressing and the expression is need and it's desire as well as awareness, what's out there. What can I take to collect into myself or what can I receive? The single-celled organisms grew into tube-like structures over millions of years. It's not just in a week or something, but lots of time. The center of the organism started to stretch out. It started to move in two directions. And the circular periphery started to fold in. And the first tube-like structures, you might imagine them like tube worms, have like one hole in and one hole out. Hole out. A mouth and an anus. That's how we might think of it now. And so in your body now, 
you might just kind of feel this very primordial tube that still exists in your body between your mouth and your anus. And just like worms, just like tube beings, there's a hunger of the mouth. And so you might move your mouth around, stretch your face, stick your tongue out, feel your lips. Ah, you might make sounds. Feel the desire of your mouth to swallow. And as you swallow, you might feel how your swallow ripples and churns down into your belly. And if you're subtle in your awareness, you might even feel how just a second after you swallow, there is a response in your pelvic floor. And that's the tube of your guts. Still a tube, though much more complex now. These first tube-like structures weren't differentiated. So both ends could uh, be hungry and reach and eat and then pull in. And also both ends could excrete. Could go <laughs> So you might just call that in as an imagining now. You could feel your pelvic floor and your mouth. And these are diaphragms and openings in your body. And you can try and open them and spread them and pull in and in the pulling in there's a collecting into a more central place and from a more central place there's a pushing out into either end I find that that embodiment is quite pleasurable but also a little bit strange sometimes and if you have the time to really stick with it or come back to that at some point and you can also channel your inner infant, your little baby that you at one point like reached for the world with your mouth and had uh, probably a very immediate connection to your pelvic floor. So you might spend lots of time just remembering being a tube. But for now, let's go on in our evolution. Flash forward millions of years, these tubes started to grow limbs. They started to grow arms and legs. And so feel now how your arms and your legs branch out from your central core. And with your inhales and exhales, you might just inhale and reach into your periphery, your fingers and toes. And as you exhale, you might imagine how they come back in. And then you could Feel how your arms and your legs and your hands and your feet, as well as your mouth and your pelvic floor are all limbs. So they're like six points of a six pointed starfish <laughs> and everything is coming into the center and then pushing out. And these first four limbed beings crawled out of the ocean and so you might imagine this crawling movement that's a kind of a side bending movement and how lizards move, how <clears throat> first the right side extends and the left side contracts and then the left side extends and the right side contracts. You might just feel that in your body. 
and imagine these kind of reptile beings crawling out of the ocean, their bellies really low to the ground, big flippers and limbs grasping onto the dry land, pulling themselves up. And as these beings got further up on land, as they developed their breathing capacity and as their eyes changed and their senses shifted to above ground, above water, there were all kinds of plants and plants of course are full of food. And we started to have to reach up and you might just imagine an arm reaching up or you might feel it. And then you might imagine grasping something with your hand and pulling yourself upwards and pulling your hands towards your body. So that reaching up, that desire. And if your eyes are closed, you could kind of imagine where your hand is reaching up and what it's grabbing. You could look at the thing it's grabbing like a perfect piece of fruit and pull it and bring it in towards your body. And so there's this reaching. And of course, as we're reaching, our legs are getting a lot stronger and we're starting to move into more upright shapes. And so we're coming away from the land. Maybe we're still traveling on four legs. Maybe we're able to come up sometimes on two legs, reaching for what we want, <laughs> taking it, bringing it in towards our bodies. And as you imagine that development of your body from single-celled organism to tube, to reptile, to mammal, Imagine how we then start to see others of our kind. And of course, it's easier to get that perfect piece of fruit when you have someone to lift you up. And so you might imagine how our early ancestors started to group together and they started to form relationships and allegiances and tribes to help one another, to find food, to build shelter, to stay safe, to nurture, to care, to enjoy, to have sex, <clears throat> to procreate. And imagine back to these very, very early ancestors before there were borders, before there were nations, our early tribes, our early families. Imagine how groups of people could come together and the power of their bodies together, all that heat can turn into force, that their bodies can labor, can work, and 
we can start to refine now the elements of the earth. So this very rich, abundant place that birthed our bodies with its materials holds all kinds of other riches and our bodies know how to work with them. We refine them, we shape them, we cultivate them. And the more bodies working together, the more we can accumulate, the more we have to eat, the more safety we have, the safer we feel, and the more power we have. Now look for the feeling inside of you that is desire. And you might imagine it in this image of picking the perfect piece of fruit, or you might imagine it in some other way. But what is the feeling, the somatic felt sense of desire? I want that. I want it. I want it. I want it. All kinds of desire. Desire for food, desire for pleasure, desire for sex, desire for sleep, desire for warmth. I want it. I want it. So just feel that desire in your own body. And then feel in your own body a memory of making something. And it could be making a meal or making a sculpture out of Play-Doh or building a chair. So anytime you took some kind of material and you made something. Whatever you made began with the thought, with the feeling, I want that. And then you gathered materials and you made something. So as you remember whatever this circumstance is, try and feel in your body the desire and then the making of something, the shaping it. And let's now return to our ancestors, these early tribes, families growing. And let's feel how desire can be shared. Desire is often shared, especially with people we care about. I want that for me, but I also want that for you. I want that for us. And let your mind and imagination go on a little journey right now. And wherever they end up is fine. Whatever comes to you is right. So just imagine all the different things that human beings have desired and then built. And maybe starting with these early tribes, you might imagine how clay and stones and wood were shaped to become structures. I want safety, I want warmth. How fire pits were dug, 
how mechanisms were formed to make production easier, how cities eventually were formed, many people coming together and realizing that, oh, I have something that you want. This thing that I make is something that you might want, or that thing that you make is something that I might want. And then we start to trade. And so now imagine the feeling of, I want that that belongs to someone else. Oh, you have a thing that you made and I want that. Or you're able to make that thing because of what you have, because of where you live. And I want that. Imagine the feeling of being able to make with other people's bodies that there's the swelling of energy and collaboration as many, many people come together to make something together. And there's also the ability to use other bodies to see their force and their power and their labor and to direct them. And you might Feel in your own body a memory of being directed, of making something that maybe wasn't of your own desire, or making something of your desire that then was given or taken. And start to imagine these fluctuations of energy, the giving and the taking the exerting, the laboring, the building. And imagine how they metamorphize and transform through evolution of our cultures. And again, this is thousands of years. This is not overnight, but you might imagine how civilizations rise and fall, how empires come together, they accumulate power, they build, they conquer, they take. There's potentially a lot of destruction. There's appropriation. There's transformation. There's meetings of difference that then give birth into new forms that no one ever imagined. There's teaching, there's learning. There's working together and there's working against each other. And let your imagination wander through the eras until you get to yourself now. And you might have more of a tangible sense of the last few generations. But can you imagine these lineages of time, of place, of resource, of bodies, of labor, of access, all coming together like streams into the bodies of your great-great-grandparents, your grandparents, your parents, you, your siblings, maybe your children. And of course, these streams are running through places. So you might 
locate them and feel the lines of force that have created your body, the material of your body, all the resources, everything that was consumed, the labor, the relationships. Sometimes there was scarcity. Sometimes there was abundance. There may have been ease. There may have been hardship. Your body may have been formed from other people's bodies, from their labor, from their wealth. However you can imagine it now. And then whenever you're ready, we'll do a free write and it will be just about five minutes or so. And just write whatever you remember or any impressions that stood out from this voyage that we just took.
So just one more minute, and I want to suggest that you um, finish up by maybe making five bullet points and just very simply write five impressions. And you don't need to think about them so much, but five impressions around this imagining of the past and what has formed your body up until this point. seconds or so just to finish up. Know that you can come back to this writing exercise for a much longer amount of time. And then we'll do one one more drop in to a meditation and then another piece of writing. So rest again. Um, it'll just be brief. But again, close your eyes if it's comfortable or kind of soften the gaze and turn your attention inwards. Feel your breath. Feel the residue of what you just wrote and those impressions. And lick your lips and swallow. And feel your mouth and your genitals and your belly and your heart space. And take some deep breaths. And as you inhale and exhale, you might imagine just breathing out into your communities and into your world in whatever way the world presents itself to you. And I'll ask you a few questions and these questions will be the prompts for the next free write. 
So I'm going to ask the questions first and just let them settle inside your body. Don't write right away. Just feel them. And then I'll tell you and then we'll come back to the writing. So feeling your body, feeling your breath, feeling your mouth and your genitals and your belly and your heart and all the spaces that you share relationally and environmentally. The first question is, what is your desire? What is your deepest desire? What do you desire to sense and to experience through your body? What do you desire to consume, to have? What do you desire to create? and to give. And are there any places or any ways that you desire to heal or to shift? So then we'll do a little bit more writing and this one will be a little bit more of a structure free write, but again with five points. So the first bullet point, first question is, what is your desire? And that's just the broadest, most general question. She desires food right now. Okay. And then the second question, what do you desire to sense and experience in your body? question is what do you desire to consume or to have what do you want to have
fourth question. Uh, what do you desire to create or to give? question is uh, is there anything you desire to heal or something that you want to shift in your own experience with desire So I want to invite you to keep writing if you'd like to, and you can continue with the meditation. You can go back into your visualizations. You can work with the first prompts or the second set. And if you're ready, then find a, a way to close and a gesture for you that feels meaningful. And whenever we do ancestral journeying or this kind of um, imaginative remembering I think it's important to acknowledge any figures that have arisen or any symbols that have presented themselves that feel meaningful. And so you might give an imaginary bow or you might name it for yourself, make some kind of connection to those symbols or to those figures that arose in your awareness. And know that those symbols and ideas are places that you can come back to and that now you have a clearer line of access to them. And if it felt like you uncovered helpful or important sentiments or ideas that are going to assist you in your growth, 
definitely acknowledge them. Just, Thanks for showing yourself to me today. I want to keep working with you. Please keep working with me. When we work in the dream space or in the liminal space that we enter in a guided visualization, your imagination probably went in and out of my guidance. And the way that you naturally associate is really important. It's an important part of your intuition and the development of your own inner knowing and the way that you can travel into your psyche um, is a very organic and intuitive process. There's not a formula for it. And sometimes in those places, just like with dreams, something might feel really profound in a moment, but then we forget about it later on. So I always really um, like to make a, a conscious connection with anything that has touched me in a profound way where I make a point to say, I noticed that. And maybe you write it down or, or maybe you do it in some other way. So that's the end of the meditation. Um, I hope that it was interesting for you and I hope that it was helpful. If you'd like to work more with this theme, um, please do check out the class. You can go to embodyastrology.com, click on play and learn. You'll find the online class section and you can sign up for elemental economics it is a sliding scale class. That means it's available at three levels of investment, starting at 10 bucks. And I'm putting some parts of this class out, like the meditation, um, and then in the upcoming weeks, some of uh, the other parts, I'll put those out for free. Um, so one of the ways that I'm experimenting in my own work is with my own value and accessibility and how can I do the thing that I want to do, which is basically connect and channel um, in a way that can sustain my life. I don't, if, if anyone's listening and you know me, you know that I'm constantly giving things away for free, like all the time. Um, I have a real hang up sometimes and, and problem with capitalism. I just, I think it's such a bullshit system, but I do really believe in exchange and um, reciprocity. So if you're listening to this meditation and you're like, I really want to do the class, but actually finances are super tight for me right now. Um, just send me an email. I'll get you access to the class and, um, you know, we'll figure something out. I love bartering. I love trading and I love you. <laughs> so if you, if you take the time to send me an email and say, this class sounds exactly like what I need right now, babe, it's yours. You can totally take the class. Um, thank you for listening and thank you so much for your support of Embodied Astrology and support of me and my work. Again, if you're looking for ways to support it, share it with your friends, write the reviews, um, enjoy it, let people know that you enjoy it, and you can always become a monthly subscriber at any amount. It's a pay-what-you-can donation and your subscription really helps to fund this work and in trade for that support, I send you monthly offerings. Um, month ahead looks at planetary aspects and the lunar cycles and hand-drawn calendars and stuff like that. So please check it out. Um, I also want to give a shout out to a friend of mine, Aisha Edwards, who's going to be teaching in Portland in the next couple of months. And if you get online and you go to fullflightcounseling.com, you can find info about her workshops. She's teaching three workshops. One will be at North Portland Yoga, one's at Yoga Northwest, and one's at Sea Grape Bath and 
soap, soap and body works. Um, and she's teaching, um, some really important work on trauma, looking at personal trauma and collective trauma, um, and the traumas of cultural oppression. So, um, we didn't get so much into it in the meditation. It was more of a, a poetics, but there's so much trauma wrapped up in our relationships to value and wealth. And if we're going to make the changes that we want to make, doing some trauma healing is a really important and essential um, component. So check out her work. And in um, the class, there's a, a big list of resources that I'll make available publicly pretty soon. So you can also get on that list and, and find all kinds of resources for working with trauma and working with embodiment and working with economics. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this meditation. Happy new moon if it's still the new moon for you or happy whatever it is in the future, wherever you may be. Bye for now.